Thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. And I have to tell you, I'm fairly nervous. Um, I don't like to talk. Um, I do love to talk, but not publicly. Um, I'm not so good at that. Um, so I just hope that you're blessed today, and I just hope that I'm able to share um, God's story. Uh, do you ever wish that you were just another mom on the playground? That is the question that a sweet friend posed to me not too long ago as we were sitting at lunch. So much of me wanted to say yes. I would love to have it just a normal life. But then I wouldn't be who I am today. My family would be different as well. You see, I'm not like most moms that you meet on the playground. I've seen things no mom would volunteer to see. I've seen suffering in my children and other children that often seem unbearable. Yet, I stand here today before you and count myself very blessed, and I would never want to change my life circumstances. Let me share my story with you. Eight years ago, my husband, Kevin, and I found out that we were expecting. We were thrilled. We each had a son of our own from a previous marriage, and we were looking forward to having many more children together. We both believed that we were very grounded in our faith. We were madly in love, and it was the kind of love that people would get sick when they'd see us in the room. They would just be like, get away from each other, ugh, and especially our families. And we were ready to start blending our family. Having both gone through some pretty difficult times earlier in our lives, we each had a failed marriage in our past. We knew that God had grown us so much, and we were looking forward to many happy days in front of us. I even began to think that my life was pretty much perfect, and that I'd finally been delivered to my happily ever after fairy tale. Little did I know that my faith, my crazy and love for my husband, and my sorry y'all, and my entire universe would be turned upside down. Seven months into the pregnancy, I became very ill, and our baby had to be delivered immediately to save my life and our baby's life. I spent the next three days in a comatose-like state in ICU as our daughter fought for her life in the NICU. The doctors told Kevin they weren't sure if either one of us would live. I had developed a condition called HELP syndrome, which means hypertensive elevated liver low platelet syndrome. My body had begun shutting down, and they were fighting to keep me alive. At the same time, our daughter was handed off to a NICU nurse to be assessed. She noticed that our daughter looked different, and so before she began to feed her, she asked the doctors to come evaluate her again. We are very thankful for this nurse. Due to a condition that our baby had, had the nurse fed her, she would have drowned her. After the evaluation, Kevin was given a very long list of our daughter's birth defects, consisting of what they thought was a brain abnormality, holes in her heart, her esophagus being connected to her trachea and not to her stomach, and a possible spinal cord abnormality. Due to my condition, she also developed interuterine growth retardation, meaning that she just quit growing in the womb. She should have weighed about four and a half pounds, but instead she weighed a mere two and a half pounds. Um, and I brought today, just to kind of give you a visual, that this was her little diapers that she wore, um, and we had to fold them down so that they would, so they would fit her. Um, the prognosis for our daughter, if she did live, was that she would most likely never walk, talk, or eat on her own, that she would have cerebral, cerebral palsy and would be severely handicapped. Again, this was all if she did live, and not to mention all of the surgeries that she would have to go through. I remember finally waking up from the ICU and looking around and wondering, where's the party? I've just had a baby and I'm ready to celebrate. You can imagine the shock that I was in when I heard the events of the past three days. 
As Kevin took me to meet our baby on day three of her life, we decided that this precious baby girl had to be named Grace. When we looked into her face, it was so apparent that God's free and unmerited favor was glowing inside of her. That is Grace. We knew that one day we would be able to share the story of Grace with many that we would encounter. I'll never forget the first day that I met her. Nothing could have prepared me for what she looked like. By then, she weighed about two pounds and was 15 inches long. Kevin's wedding ring hung on her wrist. There were machines everywhere around her, making noises that I had never heard before. She didn't look much like a baby, and we were told that even if she lived, she would not have a normal life. I remember praying over her for much of the day. Our minister and his wife came as well as my parents, and we all prayed for her life, thanking God for keeping her alive this long. We were so thankful that her tiny lungs seemed to be completely normal, a rarity for babies born this early, and this tiny. We gave her to God, though, and there was nothing else we could do. That same day, Grace struggled through her first major surgery, when to disconnect her esophagus to her trachea, connect her esophagus to her stomach, put in a feeding tube so that she could be nourished, have a chest tube placed, and have a central line placed so that the doctors would have immediate access to her veins. The entire time Grace was in surgery, we prayed and read from Psalms. Even though I was familiar with the book of Psalms, I had no idea how that book would one day impact me on a daily basis. We were all at peace in my hospital room, knowing that God would protect Grace and that his plan was evident and working in her life. We had no idea the mighty road God had planned out for us, but we were confident that God was in control of our sweet baby's life. We clung to his promises and believed that just as he had taken us through these incredible trials before, he would usher us through this one as well. I remember claiming Jeremiah 29:11 through 14 for our family. And I'm sure most of you know this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Little did I know then that this would be a passage that would really minister to me throughout Grace's life, and it would mirror what God would do in our lives. Grace ended up spending almost eight weeks in the NICU. Our first miracle to celebrate in Grace's life was that she was alive and she was coming home. She came home weighing three pounds and with a massive medical equipment to keep her alive. For the next year, it seems like all I did was go to doctor's appointments, physical and occupational therapy appointments, feed Grace through her feeding tube, and give medicine. Most weeks, we would have multiple appointments. We were also told at this time that Grace would need to be isolated from others to protect her lungs during the months from September to May due to the risk of RSV. In some aspects, it was a very busy time for us, trying to manage all of this and the care of Grace, and also trying to love and nurture our four-year-old Cannon and our 14-year-old Taylor. But it was also a very isolated time. I had spent my entire life living a very busy life. My mom used to kid me and say, all you ever want to do is burn the candles at both ends. Before Grace was born, I was involved in numerous activities and volunteer positions outside of the home. For me, if I didn't have anything, something to occupy my time, I didn't feel valued or worthy. This lifestyle had been put on hold when Grace was born, and I was having to learn how to find value in what God had to offer and not the world. 
and to find my value in my relationship with Christ and not at what I was good at doing. I began reading a vast amount of books, trying to educate myself on how to navigate my way through the medical world, the insurance world, and trying to learn all about what was wrong with Grace and how to help her. I was always frustrated after reading because there just didn't seem the right manual to help teach me how to make, take care of our daughter with a multitude of special needs. I remember saying, why isn't there a how-to book on this? What I didn't see happening was the way God was beginning to grow me into the woman he wanted me to become. I began to cling to God's word like I never had before, searching for answers that I couldn't find elsewhere. This was the manual that I really needed, and I learned to use his word to build a relationship with him, a relationship like I had never experienced before, a complete reliance on him and no one else. I began to really understand the verse, be still and know that I am God. Reality set in almost daily. This definitely wasn't the perfect life that I had dreamed of finally having. Every doctor's appointment that we went to, I was reminded of Grace's birth defects and how devastating these were for her, that she would never be normal, and that many of the doctors couldn't even begin to predict what her future would be like. Even her neonatologist, who was a doctor um, that specializes in the care of premature babies, told us that it was really sad that she was alive because her life would be so unfortunate. I kept thinking, but I'm so thankful that she's alive. It doesn't matter what is wrong. It was after hearing these words from the doctor that God led me to Psalm 139. David wrote in verses 13 through 16, For you have created me. You have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Slowly I began to claim these verses for grace and would repeat them over her. When doctors would talk about her birth defects, I would use this opportunity to tell them what I knew about how God had made grace. How could these defects, how could these be defects when it was written that she is fearfully and wonderfully made? Kevin and I both struggled with this question and the whys for a very long time. But as we struggled, we read his word, we prayed, we sat and cried for our community, and we began to listen to truth and believe it for our lives. Thankfully, God allowed this pain to strengthen our marriage and draw me closer to the love of my life, Kevin. I kept remembering the scripture that I had learned as a child, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I knew that he is able to turn around every situation and circumstance for the good of him and his will. We thank God over and over again for keeping us close together instead of allowing our circumstances to build a wall between us. At about this point, we learned that Grace's holes in her heart had mysteriously closed on their own. This event couldn't be explained by doctors. Another miracle. She would not have to endure heart surgery. At about the same time, Grace had an MRI, and we learned that the fear that the doctors had in the NICU about Grace's spinal cord being tethered, or, in other words, it's attached by a fatty mass at the base of her spinal column, that was accurate, and that she also had a severe brain abnormality. Once again, we were given odds, chances, and best-case, worst-case scenarios. Our faith was tested again as we came to grips with this reality. Both Kevin and I had to fight hard within ourselves to not be anxious. The following verse from Philippians became a daily chant for us, and it's still one of my my, my husband's favorite verse today. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Grace was nine months old, she underwent her second major surgery. This surgery would be performed to detach her spinal cord from her spinal column. The doctors told us that if the surgery was not performed, Grace would never have the ability to walk and would lose all bladder and bowel function. We also learned that because the surgery was so risky and dealt with millions of nerves that she still might lose all function from the waist down. Great choices, right? But we were called to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. So that is what we tried to do. The surgery ended up lasting several hours, and again we did what we had learned to do. Pray, claim his word as truth, and be surrounded by community. Grace ended up being in the hospital for two weeks, and when we left the hospital, she did not have bladder or bowel function. We were taught how to catheterize her and do other medical procedures to help her do these basic functions. I can't begin to tell you how overwhelmed we were when six weeks later she had a very full wet diaper on her own. We celebrated that evening with a diaper party. We all put clean diapers on our heads and danced around. Our four-year-old loved it. We thanked God for another miracle. The doctors marveled at the unexplainable events. When spring came that year and the flowers began blooming, I was reminded of the verses in Lamentations that say, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We embraced spring like we had never before, for this meant that grace would finally meet the world and we would not be isolated anymore. In May, we had a huge celebration of her first year of life and celebrated with family and friends. Even three of Grace's Nikki buddies came to help her celebrate. So much of what the doctors had told us had not come to fruition, and we were just very joyful. Grace had just begun to start trying to sit up at that point, and we thank God for blessing us with such a precious gift. It was during this time that I began truly understanding what faith was all about. For most of my life, I had professed to be a faithful follower of Christ, yet I had always wanted answers and to be in control of my life. Throughout this first year of Grace's life, I had pleaded with God so many times, telling Him, I will accept your future for Grace's life. Just tell me what it is so that I can be prepared. I said things to God like, If she will never walk, I know that you will help get us through this. Just tell me so that I can order the pink wheelchair and we can quit wondering. God is always faithful. And He led me to His words found in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed in God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Many faithful people are listed here in this passage. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses' parents, even Rahab. The list goes on and on. In verses 13 through 16, it goes on to say, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a better country of their own, a heavenly one. The chapter ends stating that these, were all, these people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. After reading this, I began to fully understand what faith really was. This would become a battle often in my life, but I had to remember his promises and trust that God's plan would be sufficient. 
and I didn't have to know what it was. Just trust Him. This was a huge step for me. I've realized over the years that a lack of faith in me can creep up if I'm not consistently in His Word, meditating on it, and being surrounded by other believers that hold me accountable. I'm sorry, I have those little believers right there. (laughs) The next two years were marked with many ups and downs. In the fall of that year, as well as the next, the doctors recommended that we keep Grace shut in again for RSV season. Once again, we were isolated for eight months, both of these years, and I had to battle many themes in my life. Control, lack of faith, selfishness, pride, and loneliness. I also had to give up the dream of going back to my volunteer duties and outside interests. Right now, my place was to serve my children at home. Kevin and I still clung to one another, but we had to fight hard for that. Anything that, that, anytime things would get chaotic around the house or Grace would be um, placed in the hospital, Kevin and I had to be very disciplined to stay connected and have open communication. Looking back on this, I know that it is only through a loving God that we were able to do this. Kevin and I were given statistics when Grace was born. We were told that our marriage had only a 30% chance of lasting because of the fact that it was our second marriage and we each had children of our own. That chance decreased to about less than 5% because of all of Grace's medical issues. I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 12.9 where God told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We knew that in our weakness, God came in and made us strong. This was very apparent in our life then and still is today. We can only do it by His strength. One of the most exciting things that happened during this time was that Grace took her first steps when she was 18 months old, something we thought she would never do, and she did it on Christmas Day. It was a great present for all of us and an amazing reminder about the character of the Lord we serve. He is able to do anything. One of my favorite verses is Luke 137. In the last, I think, three years, it's been on our Christmas card, and it says, For nothing is impossible with God. How true that is. Unfortunately, during these two years, we faced many more battles. There were multiple hospital stays for dehydration and failure to thrive, meaning that Grace was not growing at all, and often she would lose weight between checkups. Just to give you an indication of how truly small and frail she was, when Grace was one year old, she weighed a mere nine pounds. She would later have friends that weighed that much when they were born. During this time, we also had a long battle with Grace, learning how to eat on her own and without tube feeding, and she endured multiple surgeries. After we were told by several physicians and feeding therapists that due to Grace's initial defect of her esophagus, trachea, and stomach, that she would more than likely be tube fed for the rest of her life. God brought to us an incredible doctor who began to assist us and help Grace with her feeding issues. The first thing that she did was recommend surgery to tie off the connection from her esophagus to her stomach, hoping to prevent the horrible reflux that Grace had every time she was fed. At that point, she was being fed through her feeding tube, attached to a machine five to six times a day for an hour each time, and was fed all night long. This was a grueling process for her and for us. After much prayer, Grace had the surgery, and then with the help of the sweet doctor, we began scouring the country for another way of life for Grace and for all of us with regards to how she was fed. We knew that there had to be something better in store for Grace. If you could only picture what our family looked like, 
the few times we were able to travel distances in the car. Grace was strong enough to take our first family vacation at about this time, and we drove to Destin, Florida to the beach. I laugh about it today. I can remember having to hold her feeding tube up over her head in our minivan and out the sunroof so that gravity would allow the liquid nourishment to get into her stomach. And this was before they had battery-operated machines. <laughs> and the ivy pole to hold the bag in place when we were able to plug it in was quite large and fit in between our middle seats. I think Cannon thought that everyone lived like this. Taylor, on the other hand, was in the middle of his teenage years and was so embarrassed that we put him on a plane to meet us. Shortly after this trip, we found the perfect feeding program right here in Dallas at our children's house, but it required several years of bi-weekly outpatient therapy sessions and an eight-week-long inpatient feeding program. What we didn't know is that it would take years to move Grace in the right direction with regards to eating. Thank goodness we did not have this knowledge up front because the uphill battle would have felt too great to even begin. Once Grace entered the inpatient part of the process, our family of five lived under two roofs for two months. Our sons, Canaan and Taylor, went through a very difficult time during these two months, and I look back on this time and wonder how in the world we got through it. But then I'm reminded that we did not do it on our own. We had the help of many, serve an incredible God who strengthened us, and we poured into his word for truth. One of the most precious things that I remember about this time was when God spoke to me through Grace. The day before Grace was entering the hospital, and I was very busy trying to get everything in order, Grace kept trying to bring me a piece of paper that she had gotten from my bedside table. I ignored her several times, you see. I was too busy trying to keep control of our lives that I knew was getting ready to spin desperately out of control. After several attempts, she finally walked into our master bathroom and put the piece of paper in our toilet. I finally got frustrated with her, fished out the paper, thankfully before she flushed it. As I looked down at her to reprimand her, she was all smiles. I turned to read the paper and chills went up and down my spine. I grabbed her, crying, and thanked her. It was at this time that I knew she had a special relationship with God. The piece of paper was something that my mom had given me long ago. She had written scripture down for me that she had wanted me to keep close to me. It was from Philippians 4:11 through 13. Paul had written, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. These verses carried me through that difficult time. During the fall of that year, Grace also had to have another spinal cord surgery. She had lost bladder and bowel control again, and she had begun to have leg weakness. We were told almost the same thing that we were told before the first spinal surgery. There was no way to tell what the outcome would be. She might lose all function from the waist down. We also needed to have the surgery done as soon as possible, which meant that Grace would be in the hospital over Christmas. Once again, friends and family overwhelmed us with their outpouring of love. Meals, prayers, and even a princess Christmas tree was brought to our hospital room. This ended up being another very long and complicated surgery. When the surgeon came out of surgery, he was definitely shocked at what he had found and told us he wasn't sure if she would ever be able to walk again and was also unsure about bladder and bowel function. God continued to amaze us on this journey. She walked for a second time on Christmas Day. Another incredible Christmas for us. Our family has talked 
many times since that day, and we all believe it was one of the best Christmases we ever had. The hospital allowed all of us to spend the night in Grace's room on Christmas Eve. We brought in air mattresses and had a big camp out on the floor of her room. I didn't think we would ever go to sleep. The laughing and giggles could be heard from down the hall. Her room really glowed that night, and it was awesome. We had everything we needed to enjoy the true meaning of Christmas, and our focus remained steadfast on the Lord. The next year of Grace's life, year four, was the year that we celebrated no hospital stays for Grace. This is still the only year in Grace's seven-year life that she has remained pretty stable and well. I can remember thinking, wow, she's finally well. Thank you, God. She began ballet classes, was in gymnastics, and loved preschool. All things that we were told would never happen. It was such a wonderful, restful time for her. We watched her grow bigger and bigger and became so independent. She also got to fly on an airplane for the first time. We took her to New York City and Hawaii to celebrate Taylor's high school graduation that summer. I remember taking pictures of her on the plane and how truly in awe she was of an entire world that she had never seen before. I mean, who takes pictures of kids on their kids on the airplane? We had laughs, um, and again, we were able to share Grace's story with people. Through Grace's struggles, we had learned to celebrate life very differently. We celebrated everything. Although everything seemed so normal, finally this was the year for more pruning and growing in our family, but it would happen through other people in our life, not Grace. In the fall, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer and had to have a third of her colon removed. And three weeks later, I began having debilitating headaches. I was misdiagnosed with a lytic lesion in my skull and was told there was a 95% chance that I had cancer throughout my body. I remember sitting in my house and saying to God, Okay, God, I know I pleaded with you to take all of this suffering away from grace and give it to me, but oh my gosh. (laughs) The same thoughts that had crept up in me when I first had grace all resurfaced again. I pleaded with God and told him that if it was his will for me to publicly share my faith, I could do that without having any member of my family be sick. I questioned him more than I had in years. This was the first fall that we were allowed to be among the living without Grace having to be isolated. And then I had to experience weeks of isolation in my room with lights and sounds at a minimum. Yet, through this time, I also experienced a closeness with God that I can't even begin to describe. It was amazing and it was such a gift. I look back now and think, thank you God that Grace wasn't sick during this time. I know our family couldn't have handled it. I love the scripture in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I've claimed this verse a multitude of times in my life. I ended up having to have surgery to remove a cyst that was embedded in my skull and had many more weeks of recovery to continue my complete dependence on my Lord. Grace, having been through so many surgeries, was a wonderful nurse to me. She loved to come in and try to take care of me. It was precious to watch our roles be reversed. We are thankful that the cyst was benign and I am well today. During this time, our family had been asked to serve as the ambassador family for March of Dimes, and that's an organization that raises awareness, funds, and does research for premature babies and babies born with birth defects. As soon as I was feeling better, we were off to the races. We had the opportunity to speak of God's story of grace in our lives a multitude of times. 
We traveled all around the DFW area and usually gave one to two talks a week for about six months. Grace was highlighted in several newspapers and we ended up giving interviews on TV several times. Every time we did speak publicly or there was any publicity of us, we were able to speak about our awesome God and we were so thankful for the opportunity to share what he continues to do in our lives. During this time, God began revealing to me his greater purpose for me on earth. I began having opportunities to speak with many families that were starting the journey of a child with special or medical needs. It all began to click. I had a background in psychology plus the life experience of living with a child with special needs and who was consistently medically fragile. The more that I was given opportunities to share what God has done in our lives, the more passionate I became. I finally felt like Grace's suffering and our family's pain would not go to waste. It all had a purpose. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I continue to be amazed at the way God introduces people into our lives. Every hospital stay, he has blessed us with meeting a family who needs to be comforted. Again, helping us to understand the need for grace to suffer. He also put people in our daily path who have been hit with incredible pain and sorrow due to a child's illness. We are so thankful that God continues to bless us with these relationships and stories. The following spring, we were able to celebrate something that we never thought would happen. Grace was eating well enough to have her feeding tube removed, and we celebrated with a TV party. We had a huge bounce house, obstacle course delivered to our backyard, served pizza and pink cotton candy, and had more friends than I could have imagined to help us celebrate another miracle in Grace's life. I remember watching Cannon at this party. He was so happy, and his face radiated joy. Grace ate many slices of pizza and had cotton candy all over her body. Who would have ever expected that the little girl who wasn't supposed to eat would be able to eat pizza and cotton candy? Year five began with such hope for Grace. We had made the decision to give Grace another year of preschool. Doctors had told us that every time Grace was sick or hospitalized, that her body used everything it had to get well and did not have anything left over to help her develop. Due to Grace's extended times being sick and having been in the hospital about a third of her life, we believed that the best gift we could give her would be another year to enjoy preschool and to just play. The fall began with Grace having a ball. She had made a sweet friend and loved her teacher. She loved to dance and play with her friends. During this time, Grace began experiencing bowel and bladder problems and leg weakness again. I'll never forget the first time that I noticed that she was having trouble climbing up the playscape at McDonald's. A rush of panic and fear overtook me as I began to realize that Grace's spinal cord was probably reattached again. After many weeks of testing, our worst nightmare came to be true. Grace would require yet another spinal surgery. Guess what time of year it was? December. And we had a surprise trip planned for the kids to Disney World. Doctors told us to go and that we could do the surgery in January. Our family had a wonderful time, and Grace was able to live out all of her princess dreams. I think we must have watched Cinderella get married at the castle at least three times a day. (laughs) Cannon was such a trooper for his sister and endured this. By the time we came back to Dallas, we were having to carry Grace most everywhere. She was in a lot of pain and was experiencing horrific symptoms. We were so thankful for our family time and began preparing for surgery. This surgery ended up being one of the worst, five hours long. 
because the neurosurgeon not only detached her spinal cord from the base of her spinal column, he also cut an area out of her scalp and attached it to her spine so as to make an expansion graft and hopefully prevent the cord from reattaching in the future. Again, when we saw the doctor after surgery, he seemed shaken and said that he had no idea what her prognosis would be. Grace ended up spending a longer time in the hospital than was expected and went home from the hospital with us still carrying her. Grace ended up having to be confined to our couch for weeks afterwards. We were so thankful for that trip to Disney World. It carried her through the many weeks of confinement. She would watch the videos that we had made while we were there over and over again. Again, we would watch Cinderella get married and dance in the castle, and this would keep her occupied, and she watched it over and over again. She also had daily visits from her teacher and her best friend, and the three of them became so close and shared so much. Her preschool class also had a field trip to our house to help cheer Grace up. You should have seen the look on her face the day that they all walked in. She was so excited. Her recovery was very slow, though, and we still didn't know if she would ever walk again. She ended up not walking for weeks after, another mighty test of our faith, yet another time that we grew more than I could have imagined. In true grace fashion, when she did finally walk, she wanted to run everywhere. Two months after Grace's recovery, she began experiencing heart and stomach problems that led to multiple tests and procedures. Thankfully, no surgeries, though. That fall, 2006, Grace began kindergarten in public school. I remember the day like it was yesterday. The emotion that Kevin and I felt that day could never accurately be described. Our little girl was entering a place that we were told she would never be able to go. We praised God and we were so thankful for this blessing in Grace's life. Grace was so happy and had two friends in her class that had been close friends for a long time. And one of them was the best friend from preschool. It was so fun to watch Grace and Cannon see each other in the hallways at school. Cannon would crack a smile and Grace would have a hard time not to, uh, would have a hard time containing her excitement that her big brother was right there. It was precious to watch the two of them and I think it was even more special because we didn't think that it, they would ever be in the same school. It wasn't long though before Grace had a bad case of pneumonia followed almost immediately by showing symptoms and signs of weakness in her legs again. She was playing at the park when I noticed that she was having trouble walking. This got worse and worse, and once again, we were back in the ER in December. Grace was admitted to the hospital for a series of tests and ultimately went through spinal surgery again, her fourth. This time of our life, I was tested more than ever. I couldn't believe that it had happened again and so soon, and I had trouble not fearing the worst. It ended up being another hard surgery and another long recovery. Ultimately, Grace missed 70 days of school her kindergarten year. On one hand, I was so sad for her and felt like she was missing out on so much. Yet on the other hand, I was thankful for a lot of one-on-one time that we were able to spend together. All in all, God provided in unbelievable ways for us. He provided a Christian tutor that Grace fell in love with, friends and family that supported us with all that you can imagine once again, and a school district that was willing to do about anything to help Grace out. These were just a few of the ways that God was present in our lives. I can remember when we took her outside one evening during this recovery and Grace said she smelled God. Kevin and I didn't understand what she was talking about. She kept saying to us, can't you smell him? I asked her how she knew what God smelled like and she said, because he is always near me, especially when I have surgery. And then she looked at me like, duh. (laughs) 
For Grace's sixth birthday, some Watermark friends pulled off the ultimate gift a week before her actual birthday. A Hannah Montana party where Grace and 11 of her friends were able to make and star in a music video and then view the the music video just hours after we had what was called a premiere party. Um, Hannah Montana, a Disney character, was a huge part of Grace's life. The entire time Grace was at home this year, she she had become obsessed with her. By far, this was the best birthday Grace had ever experienced. God clearly went before us in this and prepared the way. The following great week, Grace became very ill and was hospitalized for almost a week. We were discharged on Grace's seventh birthday. The initial diagnosis was leukemia and then lymphoma, and we ended up spending the next several months seeking, uh, seeing an oncologist once a week, having surgery to remove a lymph node, tonsils, having, having um, surgery for ton- her tonsils out, adenoids, multiple CAT scans, MRIs and PET scans, and a battery of blood tests and other medical tests. Thankfully, all of the cancer issues were ruled out this past July, and by September of this year, Grace was cleared from seeing the oncologist again. Grace began growing stronger and stronger, and now I'm happy to report that she has not missed a day of school since before Thanksgiving. She also received perfect attendance the second six weeks of school, something that she had never been able to achieve. Grace was well enough to attend the Hannah Montana concert in November, another highlight of her, of her year. This journey for Grace is not over. We have no idea what is in store for her future. There are many what-ifs that I have to consistently put aside so that they will not rule my life. More than likely, Grace will have more surgeries, and public school is something that we evaluate each year due to her brain abnormality. Thankfully, we have learned to live one day at a time. I would love for each of you to get the opportunity to see grace in action. With grace comes joy in everything and a zest for life that you have never seen. She wakes up happy and singing and goes to bed the same way. She also has a love for Jesus like I have never seen and truly trusts that God is in complete control of her life. I can't tell you how many times we have been at the hospital getting ready to have surgery, an MRI, or just another procedure, and she will ask for a flashlight. Once the flashlight is secured, she will hold it up high and begin singing this little light of mine. There's never a dry eye in the room. In her sweet life, all of the firsts in life have been celebrated because we weren't sure they would ever happen. It has caused me to look at life from a completely different perspective, not for something to expect, but to celebrate if and when it happens. I can remember her first smile, her first words, the first time she clapped, all things they said she wouldn't do, her first steps, the list goes on and on. All of these firsts are more precious and celebrated more outrageously because it was not a possibility. Miracles. Grace was given gifts to help her in this terrible yet wonderful battle that she's endured. Her tenacious fighting spirit has been with her since she was born and not always easy to parent. Even the nurses in the NICU said that she was a fighter. They could tell by her cry and would one day grow into a great, courageous, and strong warrior. We see that in her today. She also has too many scars on her body to count. A constant reminder to us that we serve a God of miracles. Every time I see a scar, I thank God for the work that he has done in our lives. She is a living miracle. She walks, she talks, she eats on her own, and she's in public school. All things that the doctor said would not happen. 
She also loves to dance and sing. She loves the color pink and wears it daily. She loves to draw, ride horses, swim, and she has begun to read. She says that she would like to be a doctor when she grows up, possibly for animals, and oh, she would also like to dance. We are in awe as we watch her. In all, Grace has endured 20 surgeries and has gone through things that no one should have to bear. Along the way, I have doubted. I've been angry, resentful, had a slew of questions, and have been in the depths of desperation at times. Through all of this, I have begged over and over again to God, if you want me to share your story of grace and redeeming love, let me do it, but not through the pain and suffering of my child. I have always questioned, why grace? Why our family? John 9, 2-3 states it beautifully. Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and along the way they saw a man that had been blind since birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This is a model of Grace's abundant life. The way she lives life is a constant reminder of who she loves and trusts. As I look at Grace, I'm reminded of some verses in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 through 18 that Paul wrote, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the lesson that we have been taught through Grace. Today I stand before you very different. Our children, Canaan and Taylor, are very different. They have both been given the gift of compassion that they would have never realized without their little sister. Canaan has also been given lessons in how to put his complete faith and trust in God and who to turn to whenever there is trouble in our life. We are so blessed, but still on this road of suffering. It reminds me of my favorite song by Matt Redman. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's hard to say all that without singing. Because <laughs> it is one of my favorite songs. As I close, I just want to share with you, as Christians, we are all told that we will suffer. James, Jesus' brother, wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever, not if, but when, you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Through this suffering, we have found hope, grace, love, and mercy. James later goes on to say, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. All of us will experience something, whether it's a sick child, a devastating divorce, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, or something else. This is our earthly place and not our home. It will happen to all of us. What we do with that suffering is what will mark us. Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 4:16-18, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we must fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is temporary, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The only way to get through whatever your cross might be is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to read his word, meditate on it, be still and listen to him, believe what he says to be truth, apply it to your life, and live life with others that will sharpen you, encourage you, and pick you up when you can't walk anymore. And never ever forget all the blessings that God has bestowed upon you. It is a choice to either focus on the desperation of your troubles or praise God for the blessings in your life. When we do this, we will all experience what God has to offer and we will all witness modern day miracles. I've always loved this time of the year for many reasons. Everything looks so pretty with all of the wonderful colors everywhere. I love to spend special time with family. It is the time of year that I reflect on all of the wonderful blessings God has allowed to happen in my life. There's always a sense of anticipation as the days move closer to December 25th, almost like a woman who's getting ready to give birth to a precious baby. The excitement heightens with each day that draws us closer. Most importantly, it is the time of year where I specifically remember Christ's birth and the miracle of that wonderful night. For most of my adult life, I didn't believe miracles happened in the modern day world. I've always loved reading about miracles in the Bible or the divine acts that are unexplainable by the laws of nature. Growing up, I loved the story of Jesus walking on the water, calming the storm, feeding the 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, and the countless stories of Jesus healing the sick, the lame, and the blind. You could say I loved the four Gospels and read them often. Through the years, I've often pondered Galatians 3.5, where Paul asks, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles in among you because you observe the law or because, because you believe what you heard? Every miracle of healing that is reported in the Gospels all point out how the person or a family member that was healed believed and trusted God. I've thought about this for many years and have wondered, is that why we lack seeing miracles of our day? Are we too busy in our modern day world to stop and be still? Do we not believe that God is who he says he is, or are we just going through the motions? Do we just lack faith, or do we actually have the conviction based on past experience that God is in control? I have learned through all of our trials that faith is sure and certain. It is believing God's character and that he is who he says he is. You see, when we believe in God's promises, he will do what he says. When we believe God because of who he is and trust in his promises, even before they materialize, that is true faith. Jesus said it most clearly in John 20:29, where he is talking to the disciples after his death. And Thomas doesn't believe Jesus is who he says he is. Thomas will not believe until he can see the nail marks in his hand and put his finger where the nails were. Jesus says to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. God continues to refine me and grow me into being more like him. Through all of the trials and storms of life, he continues to change me without ever leaving my side. Why does he continue to do this? Because of his grace, goodness, and mercy. We can all become more like his image. This can only happen through a relationship with him. When Jesus decided many, many years ago to obey his Father, step out of his comfortable place in heaven, and join us down here on earth, he took up our iniquities and our sins by dying on the cross for each one of us. He daily offers us grace, 
God's free and unmerited favor for sinful humanity. All we have to do is trust and believe that He is who He says He is, the Son of God. He promises us eternal life with Him and a better life. This gives me such hope. It is written in Revelation 21 through 4, I'm sorry, 21 4, that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is the true miracle and why Christmas is so amazing to me. Will you believe him and trust him with everything? And that's it. Do you all have any questions for me? What grade is Gracie now? First grade. She's seven and a half. And um, they let her move on to first grade. She was tutored all summer. Um, but she's in first grade now and in public school um, she receives um, help um, what's called Jump Start which is a program designed for kids with dyslexia so she gets that every day um, and then she also sees um, a speech therapist that's working on um, and she sees her twice a week in school and um, she's working on um, articulation versus art no I don't even know. Isn't that horrible? I don't know. Um, it's where she um, she has the information in her brain, but she can't get it out. So they're working on on that. Yes, expressive. You're right. It's expressive language. Highland Park. And they've been amazing. Any other questions? Surely you'll have questions. Okay, go ahead. Where were you when she was born? And we were living in Carrollton at the time. Oh, here. Mm-hmm. No, we were here. We were here, and she was born at Medical Center of Plano. Um, hmm? She's been at Children's before, and she's been at Medical City multiple times. <laughs> And my ta- what I would um, pray and hope that you would be able to take away from this is that we all, we're all going to struggle. People look at me and go, oh, you know, oh my goodness, it's been so horrible. But then I, we've had such great opportunity to see other people in the hospital that don't have the family support, that maybe don't trust in him, um, don't get meals delivered to their house every day. And, um, you know, I met, a, I met a woman this summer who was a single mom. She had four children. And the oldest had um, was going through his second year of cancer, um, with with um, having radiation and chemo, um, and she lived an hour and a half away. And she took a bus with all of her kids three times a week to come into clinic at medical. Um, I mean, at Children's. Um, and and that's when I went. Okay, we're so good. You know, we are. We've been so so blessed. And so I would hope that your takeaway would be that. Um, when the storms in, in life hit you, and they will, um, that you would 
cling to his word you would trust him to be true um, you would you would um, seek community and seek others to come around you and help you because you can't do it alone um, read his word hide his word in your heart and um, and just have a strong close relationship with him because that's the only way any of us can get through whatever it is um, our son right now our canon um, who's in the middle school is going through some teasing um, they're taking his lunch away and doing you know silly things but same principle I need to apply the same principle and he's old enough and he's watched when we've had struggles open up our Bible and, and read and pray um, and that's what you know that's what will get us through these times here on earth anything else? He is 22. He has graduated from college, um, has moved back to town, and is living um, about five minutes away from us. So they're now 22, 11, and 7. And through the grace of God, I still love my husband more every day. I just want to thank you for sharing. I just feel an overwhelming wanting to pray and just to thank God. If I'm just to thank you, you know, just to thank you for God. Well, I was going to close this in prayer. I'd love to close this in prayer. Just one thing, sort of quick. Walking through your life and the faith that you should have, listening to your story, this is what you always have to do. You have to get the word in your heart and you taught scripture. And that's what gets us all through any discipline in life. And thank you for sharing that and loving that. And it is just ungrateful. I mean, I sit here, you know, some of your story, but it makes me definitely get a lot of us. And just start reading it over and over. And not just New Testament, but Old Testament. So, your story, I think, encourages all of us to pray more and to read it. So, thank you. Thank you. Okay, let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I stand before you and just saying I'm not worthy and how in the world did you decide that grace should be given to me but I know your plan is good and I know it's perfect and I thank you for the gift of grace um, I thank you for this beautiful day and I thank, thank, you, thank you for the way you remind us every day that your compassions and mercies are new every day um, I thank you especially for your word and the way that um, you can use that to change our hearts um, to grow us and um, just to provide for us so much. Um, especially I thank you for um, your son um, who came down here on this earth, um, who was living a place of, of um, you know, complete protection, but he came down here before he met any of us and decided that he would take up our sins. I thank you for that uh, special gift that you've given us. I thank you for the way you love each one of us. I thank you for the women here. Um, I ask that you would bless them, uh, bless their marriages, and, uh, and bless their families, Lord. And I just ask that you would um, continue to encourage us. And um, when we do have storms and struggles in our life, I ask that you would um, point us in the direction we need to go, help us to open that Bible every single day and be in it, um, hide your word in our heart, and be surrounded by others that can love us well during that time. 
And I just thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.